0: Well, I'm usually passing by just about eleven (laughs) o'clock. I never stop. I'm usually passing by just around eleven o'clock. And if you let me cool you one time,
1: you'll be my regular stop.
0: All right, boys. Now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. The Bourguignon, French beef stew in red wine. We're going to serve it with braised onions and mushrooms and a wine dark sauce. A perfectly delicious dish. Uh, oh. Oh. So we could put in a little more tomato paste or a little more thyme. In this case, we fortunately find it's just right. Now, for the thickening of it. Now, we want to get our pan hot, and we're going to saute it in this first until it's brown. And then we're going to put it in this pot, in which we're going to cook it in the oven. Now this is gonna go in a 325 oven and should cook very, very slowly, just at the bare simmer. And once it's in, except for checking the oven to make sure that it isn't bubbling and boiling, you don't have to look at it anymore. Then I'll let the sauce grain out and then we simply put the stew back into the casserole. There. You want the flavor of the onions and the beef to all blend themselves with the stew. That's going a little too hard, so I'll put it at the side. There. In about two or three minutes, since you have it in the icebox, and heat it up very slowly and baste the meat with the sauce. And then And then you cover it and simmer it very slowly for about two or three minutes until everything is tender and hot through. Well, now this is ready to serve right now.
1: Hi, this is Anita Cox, and you're dirty. It's time for your bath. I'll be gentle as possible, but first, You're listening to Eat It and Beat It on the Two True Freaks Network. Now lay back and let me do the wet work. Hello
2: and welcome to the first half of the podcast, the Eat It Half. I am Bannon Cherry and I am here with my partner, Mr. Softy. If you haven't guessed by our names, we are doing ice cream this month. Oh, uh, ice cream. And, of course, ice
3: cream in February this would have been a better summer topic, but with global warming, hell, ice cream is good any time of the year because who knows? We had a weather out here the other day that it reached uh, the high 60s, almost 70-something degrees.
2: I know. In February, it was the same here. I, I eat ice cream all winter anyway. I don't care. So where does ice cream rank on
3: your uh, on your list of Wonderful treats.
2: It's pretty high. It's uh, it's it's. It, I mean, ice cream and cookies are my two go-to desserts. Really? If I'm deserting, yeah. If I have desserts, mainly because that's like the bachelor lifestyle, you know, box of cookies hanging around and, and a tub of ice cream in the the fridge.
3: Oh, it sounds like all you need is just a reclining a reclining uh, settee and just eat like a Greek.
2: Yes. <laughs> Emperor,
3: ice cream and cookies. Uh, ice cream to me, I mean, I, I fucking love ice cream. But it's one of those things that I could eat. There's two things I could do. If, if I was able to, I could start every morning with a quality donut cup of coffee. I could, start, I could easily start every morning with a donut, and I don't. And I could probably have a little bit of ice cream every day after dinner and my wife does but I could do it but I can't because it makes my clothes shrink yeah. it makes <laughs> my clothes shrink in a big way so when I do have ice cream I always try and get good ice cream uh when we were I was talking about ice cream when we were kids Do you remember the um, – we were talking to some younger friends of mine, like really young in the 20s, and I said – they're in their 20s. And I said, yeah, you know, ice cream used to come in a square carton, and it blew their mind. They didn't – they had no idea. They couldn't picture it like that. But that ice cream from the grocery store when I was a kid, do you remember how how much fluff and air (laughs) was in that stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh. it was uh, – but there was something about the old-fashioned Neapolitan in a square box that you could – it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. And then some asshole would always like scrape out all the chocolate from the Neapolitan side and the chocolate side. You would be stuck with an uneven balance of ice cream. Yes. I don't even know if they can make Neapolitan in a round carton like they do yeah, now. Yeah.
2: They, well, they don't make it, but they may, they still make. Rectangular cartons are just a one-piece sort of molded thing, and I've seen yeah. Neapolitan. We still have a couple local places, and I think, I think Breyers sometimes still does the box. We still have, we still have a couple places where you can get ice cream in the box,
3: and you can pack it, pack it yourself, and take it home if you want. We 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 have a place all out here which. I'll take you to when you come. I'm surprised I didn't take it to you last time. I'll take you there last time called uh, Edie's Ice Cream Shop, <clears throat> and it's all you walk into it and they've actually filmed. – E-D-Y? I Uh, I think it's Edie's. Yeah, E D D Y. Edie's, I believe. It's 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 here in Kew Gardens in Forest Hills actually. And you walk into it and it's a time zone. You're going back to the 30s, and they've actually filmed movies in there. Marbled cut, uh, countertops, stools, uh, you can get anything you want. And they make all the ice cream there, and it is absolutely delicious. Uh, it's a great place, and anytime, and you find the flavors there that you're not going to find. And my favorite is banana. Man, I can. they make a banana ice cream there that is to die for. And just thinking about it right now, I wish I could have some ice cream. Now, when, when you wanted to go for ice cream, did you do the typical ride your bike up to the 7-Eleven and pick something out of the uh, cooler, or did you guys have ice cream trucks going up and down the street like I did every day when I was growing up? In well, summer?
2: no, no ice, no ice cream trucks. What? No, not in our town. Holy not shit. until high school when I was in the ice cream truck.
3: <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good story. I had, I had,
2: do, do tell. One of my first... It may hang, have been hang, my hang like, actual first hang, job.
3: Hang on one second. Gather around, children. This is going to be good. Oh, this is going to be a good one.
2: I can tell. I didn't even think about this till we just mentioned this. Yeah, Um. like in town, if we wanted to go get ice cream, you had to go across the bridge to West Carthage to get... Soft serve, and now come to think of it, it was all in West Carthage. And then there was another place called Bezanella's, where they would have the big tub of ice cream that they would scoop out, and you'd get the hard ice cream with different flavors. And they had cheesecake ice cream oh. that was deli. That that that, that was what che- uh, strawberry cheesecake ice cream was. My go-to whenever we went to Bezanella's. And it's funny you said. Banana ice cream. My last ice cream I had was 7-Eleven brand banana cream pie ice cream. Oh, that was pretty good. It um, sounds great. But when when I was a teenager, um, my my um, one of my friends, his father, bought he and his brother. Well, he didn't buy him the business. It was a family business that they were ice cream men, and they had. Not, This ice cream truck was from the 40s, 30s or 40s. It was like made a cast, you know, it was one of those old like cast iron (laughs) tanks of a vehicle, you know, with 84 layers of like barn paint on it. You know, it was Uh, a
3: was the menu stickers on the outside of the of the van. Oh,
2: no, we were so (laughs) it was just it was just brightly colored classic old ice cream truck in, I mean, battered, battered and with engine on it. And their uncle Ted owned the nice, you know, the white, white panel ice cream truck with the stickers down it and with, with a little computerized thing that played, you know, you know, little, little songs as it went down the road. We had a bell like an old school bell, wire like held on with electrical wire to the side of it, and then a screwdriver that would bang, ding, 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 ding. ding. This, this <laughs> sounds was... like a, this sounds like a van that you would like kidnap children in for God's Yes, sake. yes. The children <laughs> used to terrorize us more than we terrorize them. That's for sure. <laughs> and basically, that his my friend's father, basically told he and his brother, you know you could find your friends that you would want to work there and you know, and I'll set you up with the business and you can, and we sold candy out of it and cotton candy out of it. And uh, you know, the truck had a cooler in it but no electricity to wire it up. So we had to just like shove the ice cream in the cooler and then go out for two hours at a time. Cause that's how long it would stay cold and all the like, you know, ice cream sandwiches and novelty treats before they would start melting in the cooler. So we would, you know, we would take these, we had two or three different two-hour routes that we would take, and uh, and then of course Ted would take his ice cream truck and he would follow us and, and, and try to steal all our business. So it was always uh, um, a challenge to try to either outthink Ted or to bribe the kids. Our favorite thing to do, this is awful <laughs> and politically incorrect. One of the candy we sold, uh, you know, a variety of cheap ass candies, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the really like cheap chalky candies that you would oh, see in, in, you know, okay, in I, I, got you. stores I... when we were kids, you know what I'm talking about. One oh, of shit. which was candy cigarettes, which came in a pack that looked oh, like a like Marlboro pack. Candy cigarettes, yes. Yeah, and they were this hard chalky candy that looked like bubble gum. With, I, I with think the, it was or, bubble gum. wasn't it? Was it more some, chalky? Well, there were bubblegum ones, but we had candy ones. And they, and they, so it was just sort of like this hard pink candy inside with paper wrapped around it like a cigarette. Go and ahead this, and tell them And then this sugar dust, like. Yep. And so you dust. could blow through it the first couple times and, like, smoke would come out.
3: I wonder if they still make that stuff.
2: It was the cheapest. I, I, I got to think they got to be banned so hard. What? Well, by now, but, but we used to just call, and they were the cheapest candy we had on the, on the list, and we, and no, and nobody liked them, so we just had boxes of, so we we when we'd pull up, and Ted would pull up behind us, we'd call the kids over, and toss them all sorts of packs of candy cigarettes, and go like, here, these are free, now go tell the other ice cream truck that they suck, Sneaky. and they'd all go over there with the candy cigarettes, you know, clutched in their fingers, like, mock smoking them, going, you suck, Token on their candy cigarettes that they got from us.
3: Oh, well, all is fair in the ice cream war. That's right. And you know, you were—it's a running gag that um, on on uh, one of you know your other podcasts that you don't like American chocolate or candy. Now, and Canadian candy is great, but did you know Canadian ice cream? Is delicious. My, I every year I go to Canada for vacation for a week, and that is the one place that I allow myself to have an ice cream cone every single day. Because we walk down to the dock, and there is a little ice cream shack there that sells hot dogs and hamburgers. And I don't remember what. I think it's Nestle. I think the ice cream they they, they serve is Nestle, or maybe it's, it's Hershey, but it's not the Hershey that makes candy bars. But they have some flavors that – they have grape ice cream, which is my wife's favorite. And you can't find grape ice cream in the United States. very; It's not very easy to find. And one of the there – there's this ridiculous rumor going around that says that it would make dogs sick, which is crazy. I don't know what – I read that today. But, but it's just not a flavor you find here. But they had cheesecake ice cream like you're talking about. And, uh, pralines and cream and creme brulee ice cream. Mm. And that for a one week out of the year, I allow myself to have an ice cream in, uh, when I'm in Canada, cause they just make it better, man.
2: Our, our local, um, um, grocery store Wegmans makes a low fat, uh, creme brulee ice cream. That's amazing. Oh. It, it tastes so decadent. It's definitely not low sugar. <laughs> oh, no, but but it's made with lower I guess lower fat milk, but boy, it's good.
3: What I need to ask you now is
2: sugar cone
3: or or the uh or the uh what's it waffle cone.
2: I like both of them. Oh. I usually go for I usually like the waffle cone better just cuz that's the what I grew up with, you know. And we okay. used to have waffle cones just hanging out in our house. When I was everybody sure. used to have just like a, a box of waffle cones up on top of the refrigerator. Yeah, because they
3: never went stale. You never knew when they were stale. They tasted stale when you bought them out of the damn yeah.
2: market. So who knew? You couldn't tell. Yeah, and and everybody had an ice cream scoop in their house. And no, well, there are
3: certain there are certain dangers to ice cream, and the one that I can think of is the uh, soft serve Dairy Bell ice cream. Now, you would go there and you would get your soft-serve ice cream, and if it was hot, you had to you had to literally speed-lick that thing. Yes. And, and if you didn't, it was going to be a mess. And there's one thing that you can never, ever do. I'll give everyone this piece of advice. If you get the ice cream, uh, the soft-serve, don't dip it in chocolate if you're going to be riding in your car. Because I'll never forget, my parents had a new car, and I got it dipped in chocolate. And all of a sudden, you couldn't get at the ice cream because the chocolate shell was covering it. And it was flowing out under the shell, onto my hands, onto the upholstery. And I had to drive home with my hand out the window, <laughs> leaving a trail of vanilla ice cream dripping down the side of the road and getting yelled at from my parents. But, man, there's something about a soft serve... Ice cream that that is great. But there you know, there's other classifications I guess we can call ice cream. There's the popsicle. Popular with you when you were a kid?
2: Yeah, yeah, I like popsicles. Fudsickles were the were the king of popsicles. Oh, the
3: Yes. And 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 the push ups? hmm Where you would uh those were always Sherbert, weren't they? I think that the push ups are always a Sherbert ice cream.
2: Yes. Not- the the or, or really, really cheap. <laughs> uh, speaking
3: of cheap, the kind you would get at school, that had the wooden spoon, and and you would take it off, and it was basically just air because it would dissipate as you opened it up. So it was fluff. It was it was like eating a Cool Whip or something. That...
2: It was uh, it was very Cool Whip. We have I we have uh, our local a uh, Wegmans makes ice cream sandwiches. And their their ice cream sandwiches have the ice cream has a whiff of 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 a cool whip to it, you know. It's well, I try low quality ice cream that's almost cool whip, and that I like that too, though. You know, that's not
3: like it all. I tried to bring back
2: for you guys to try when you're here in the
3: summer the San Francisco original. It's it. And it didn't – needless to say, it, it doesn't travel well on an airplane no matter how much ice you try packing around it. Next time, I'll try and get some dry ice from somewhere and bring some back. But the It's It is one of the ice creams that we loved when we were a kid. It was an oatmeal cookie in the middle. You had vanilla ice cream, another oatmeal cookie, and then dipped in chocolate. Holy cow. Yeah, and they had mint. You could get mint. In the middle, ice cream in the middle, and dipped in chocolate. It's a San Francisco. Um, it's famous on the West Coast, and it, one of my my favorite. I mean, any frozen, any frozen treat. Uh, have you ever had a frozen banana?
2: Oh yeah. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I hesitated <coughs> to bring that up because it's not ice cream. Uh, my roommate Trudy, that is one of her yeah go-to ice it cream is. treats. Even though it isn't really ice cream, no, it's
3: not really it's not really ice
2: cream. But, but you we get it at, at, the, at the ice cream shop.
3: We, we would get it at the fair every year, where you take a banana, and of course they would put the stick in the banana while it wasn't frozen. Then they would freeze it, dip it in chocolate, and then roll it in peanuts, and and that was heaven. And now people are the fufu people are taking bananas, throwing them in the freezer, and blending them up.
2: They really have a special blender called a. Um... Yogo.
3: Yeah, Yogo. I have
2: one of them. I got one at a garage sale for two bucks.
3: Oh, great!
2: They work. It's interesting, but it it does not replace ice cream. No, it does not replace ice cream. But in a pinch,
3: if you're feeling kind of guilty, it's not bad. But it's not, you know, of course, it's not ice cream. Frozen desserts have always been popular. And if we go back, we could probably research back as far as the second uh, century uh, B.C., Alexander the Great. He used to send his slaves up into the mountains to bring back snow, and then he would mix the snow with honey and nectar and 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 pieces of fruit, and that's one of the earliest references to ice cream uh, that that's out there. But it is, but you know, some parts of the world, you know, of course, they never have it because you don't get ice. But anywhere that there was ice or cold weather, people would figure out some way to make. A frozen dessert, and uh, probably if you're going to go back and look at ice cream as we know it today, it probably was uh, invented in in Sicily, and they did it by simply blending milk, cream, butter, and eggs, and you know freezing it, and that was the first ice cream uh, as we know it today. And it was and had always been popular in the United States. Uh, you know, George President Washington spent approximately about uh, two hundred dollars for ice cream in the summer of seventeen ninety, and those are records that go back. And it was it's always been a popular dessert, probably because before ice houses, it was something you could only enjoy during the uh, you know during certain times of the year. It wasn't easy to uh, to make, and I was going to ask you. Have you ever had the privilege of hand cranking an oh, yeah. ice maker when you were kids? Oh yeah. When you were a kid. Oh, how many of those do you have in your garage?
2: There's a Flea couple. Park? There's a couple in in, the, in our garages for sure. We've never brought one. I, like now, if I ever feel the need to make um, ice cream myself, I'll just throw some in. I'll throw some cream and the f- sugar and flavoring and stuff into a into a baggie. And then you put the baggie, you know, a Ziploc, and then you put it in another Ziploc bag with some um, crush up, you know, crush up ice and salt. Yeah, and then you just sit and, there and, and go mush, 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 and you can squeeze out some ice cream.
3: It's and it's good, but there are so many
2: good brands of ice cream today that yeah. almost that,
3: that that making ice cream at home is almost a kitsch factor. And it's almost something for fun. It's going to be good, but it's probably never going to be good as a pint of Ben and Jerry's or a pint of Haagen Dazs.
2: But- we have a local dairy, like right down the road, called Pittsburgh Dairy that makes ice cream that's so unbelievably—it's so rich, and you know—and it's made fresh from their cows. And they—they they have one um, that's ginger flavored, and it has um, grape nuts in it. Ooh. You know, it's I'm one of the guys un- that I like grape nuts. I love grape nuts. A lot of it's, people don't. It's unbelievable. Their 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 ice cream is so rich that you could like when I had gallbladder problems and was eating low fat and I would eat Pittsburgh Farms ice cream two giant tablespoons would be my my amount, but you could take those tablespoons and just sort of like, mmm, and it was it's it's almost as rich as like frosting you know what I mean it's oh God, that, yeah. that fatty and sweet and delicious it's,
3: it's I, 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 I'm not able to stop that's my problem it, it's probably like heroin to me if I have anything and it's like that for me with a lot of sweets if I have something sweet I keep going back for more I mean, right now, if you were to open
2: your freezer, do you have ice cream in there? I don't have some of my own. There's some Pittsford Farms um, ice cream in our freezer, but it's it's my roommates and I can't touch it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I no, but I I mean I, I I polished off that banana cream ice cream a couple days ago. Usually I do. I usually have have something in there. I I I really like the. I, ice cream with pieces of oreos in it and oh, yeah. and of course um um the um chocolate chip cookie dough is is always really and good.
3: It's funny you should mention that
2: because I have here
3: a list of the favorite favorite ice creams uh and the top sellers. And there's some you know, there's some things that you probably uh, wouldn't expect one chocolate of course cho- uh, chocolate and vanilla are right up there at the top and and people like those and variations of such but we also have give me a yay or nay on this all right mint chocolate chip
2: yay but it's not a main pick of
3: mine okay yeah I just mint ice cream isn't a main pick pick of mine either uh, chocolate peanut butter cup ice cream
2: uh not a bit it's that's almost a little too rich for me. Too it's much, almost too, too,
3: too, too much rich and filling for me. Okay, I agree. Now here's one of my favorites: butter pecan.
2: Yes, a classic. Uh, yeah, that, absolutely. that was that was the the the, the um, four ice creams that like w- that you know would end up in our family freezer were chocolate, vanilla, maple walnut, and that. Okay. Uh... Cha- uh, Rocky Road. I like Rocky Road. Too much going on? But there is too much going on, really. I agree.
3: Uh, and now some of the fruit ones. Uh, black Raspberry and Black Cherry are high on the list. I like Black Cherry. I've always liked Cherry Ice Cream.
2: And, and it would have the pieces of like maraschino. But, yes, like the pieces of dark
3: cherries cut in half. Yep. That's what I loved. And Chocolate Chip Cookie Dough is among the, uh, the top. Ice cellars. Because it's
2: got the salt in it, too.
3: Yeah, you know, it's probably that we've talked about savory and salty mixed together. And uh, and that's one thing you're finding now. You're finding a lot of salted caramel in ice creams, too. They're They're uh, making
2: salted caramel Pepsi or Coke, one of the two. No, I think it's Pepsi. And then cookies and cream.
3: Another one that you said that that you enjoy. Oh, I love cookies and cream. Cookies and cream ice cream, but but it hasn't. Uh, now, out of the people that that make the big companies right now that make, I don't want to say. I guess you could call it gourmet ice cream. Who makes the best? If you're going to go out and and you're going to pick, are you going to pick one of the uh, one of the grocery store brands that you know you like or when you splurge are you going to go with one of the uh, fancy name brands and if you are which one are you going to go with
2: i usually like i've splurged before i like the grocery store brands better i like getting a nice tub of it for four dollars rather than a teeny little pint for four dollar or you know for seven dollars or whatever like say if i'm going to go for the pricier ones Maybe Ben and Jerry's more than like Häagen-Dazs and and stuff yeah. like that, but I usually go for the store brands and the the big you know the big gal or half gallon ones. You know, yeah. I, I usually like them better, and the 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 foo foo fanciness. Just I I I I don't care for the foo foo fanciness. It, it's it's a it's a gimmick to me. You know, I don't find them. That much appreciably better quality you know than, than the other ones?
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with the same thing. I'm, I'm probably going to pick one of the grocery store brands that I like, but if I am going to pick something fancy, which I usually don't do, it's going to be Ben and Jerry's. It'll probably be Cherry Garcia. Cherry Garcia is really good. I mean, it's got chocolate, it's got cherries. But uh, with that, I, I think that um, of course, our uh, Svengali. Friend George Herder, uh, George Leonard Herder, of course. <clears throat> I did a little research, and you're not going to believe this, but he has a take on ice cream. Oh, really? Yeah, yes. I would never imagine that yes. he would. Yes. <clears throat> so, um, as we are trying to prop up his name in uh, in food talk, we're going to talk about real quickly uh, Mill Lac Lacks ice cream or Millilax ice cream.
0: Hi there everybody, we're the Water We're gonna sing about the ice cream man for you. Well now,
3: now what George says here is Millilac Lake is in Minnesota, and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. Uh was named by the early French fur trader traders, Millilac Lake is surrounded by huge areas of hard maple trees. The Indians in the area made large quantities of maple syrup and sugar from the trees. Now, you're probably wondering where we're getting the ice cream, but we are. But George likes to tell us a little bit about other things first. And one of the favorite Indian dishes was to pour maple syrup over a ball of snow. It it, It makes delicious, delicate eating. And the early French and Norwegian pioneers rightly thought it had to be the most wonderful dessert they ever tasted. There are no hard maple trees in Europe, and hence no maple flavor. The new flavor, this new flavor, they preferred above all others. Of late years, the maple syrup ice cream does something to the taste of ice cream, and it comes close to something you will never, ever experience again. You you don't even need pure maple syrup, he says, because maple syrup is a lot like perfume oils as it is much better when diluted. Now, I don't know about that.
2: I don't know about that either.
3: Cane syrup is what is used to dilute it, and the best mixture is 15% cane syrup and 85% maple syrup and and 85% cane syrup. Any of the well-known brands are good, such as Log Cabin uh, and the like, but I guess he's talking about fake, fake syrups. But anyway, here's where he gets into what he likes to do. He suggests that you take your maple syrup and pour it over your ice cream, and you will never put anything over ice cream again because it has a better taste and aroma than any mixture you would ever put over ice cream. And then, of course, he finishes off his little paragraph with a little bitch session that says although it is not generally known, Minnesota produces as much maple syrup as Vermont. The cigarette companies, however, buy it all up for tobacco flavoring, leaving none of the maple syrup uh, market. None for the maple syrup market anymore. So boom. So George Leonard Herter says put maple syrup over your ice cream, and I was surprised to hear that that is something that you are familiar with.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I grew up with, I mean, every, every, every winter it was maple syrup season and everybody around us was making, there were lots of maples around where I lived and everybody was making maple syrup. You know, you would, you would, uh, you would just get this one time a year, all the, the fresh maple syrup would come out and then right next to it would be a bunch of maple syrup candy and, you know, related products. And everybody used to pour maple syrup on their ice cream. I mean, oh, pancakes and
3: waffles. Oh boy! It must get kind of gooey when it's
2: poured over the ice
3: cream, and when you eat it, it must kind of be like, like, like,
2: like honey. Sort <clears> of. <throat> you'd think it would, but it, it's it's strange. It's sort of. Oh, it's delicious.
3: Oh, now, uh, alamode pie, or do you like ice cream just by itself?
2: Alamo pie is great, especially if it's a fresh hot pie. Oh, wonderful! So it starts melting the ice cream, or you know, there's. I mean, you can still go to diners and they'll 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 throw your pie in the microwave and throw a, a um a thing of ice cream, you know, Give big me, ball of ice cream next to it. It's, you ever
3: hear about people putting cheddar cheese on pies?
2: Yes, my grandfather used to eat sharp, sharp, sharp cheddar with with apple pie. I read about that my entire life. He, he would He's, have little slices of, he would take a bite of pie and then take a little bite of cheddar. I wonder how many
3: people still do that.
2: I don't know. He used to also salt his watermelon.
3: Oh, my God. My dad salted his watermelon, too. And I and I love salted watermelon. It just brings out the flavor. And, yes, it does. And it wouldn't take people long, like we had mentioned before, to salt some of your ice cream. Very chic now to uh, do that salted uh, sea salt chocolate ice cream or sea salt caramel ice cream or sea salt creme brulee ice cream
2: well society's moving towards we're just going to take everything we eat and mix it all together and just squeeze it into our mouth eventually yeah i read an article years ago about they tried to do
3: that in prison you know that they would be easier just to make a food brick where they would put everything your eggs your toast uh meatloaf whatever you're having and make a brick and serve people this brick of food didn't go over well
2: no, I don't imagine. I imagine a lot of bricks got thrown.
3: Exactly. That's what happened. It was brick food fight. But hopefully we don't get to the uh, – we're not going to get to the Star Trek food. Uh, <laughs> Those with, with little, little pellets of different colors, jello, yes. look like. But, yeah, uh, there's ice cream. I mean, I, I think we did a great job of of covering pretty much everything ice cream related that both of us can can think about. I love it. You love it? Ice cream, you
2: scream, we all scream for ice cream. I'm I, I'm amazed I almost said that myself and I'm amazed we got this far before somebody said that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it just came up to me right now. I'm like, come on, why haven't we said that? Everyone says that. So uh, with that, uh, there are, there's some there's two creepy looking guys in our in our green room. And uh, either with a, they're with a
2: pint of chubby hubby.
3: Well, I don't know. They're licking something. I I don't know. What, <laughs> I, don't know. I can't make it out what they're licking because the yeah, windows don't. are all fogged up. But they are definitely licking something, and and uh, and they look kind of sticky and gross. So um, they're banging on the uh, on the green room. So maybe this is a, a good time for us to go grab a a, a soft serve, a Mister yeah. Soft.
2: Better than banging in the green room with a soft serve. Which I'm sure. Heyo. Or oh, but I'm bumped. All right, we'll be right back after these messages.
3: Magnus used tombstones. Trick your friends, scare the shit out of your relatives, or keep for your own personal use after you shuffle off this mortal coil. Magnus used tombstones. Perfect for people with names such as John Smith, Billy Bob Cletus Sideburn, Jimmy Hoffa, Nathan Bedford Forrest, Joseph Stalin, and dozens more. Magnus used tombstones. The best used tombstones, this side of the other side. Some assembly required. No warranty, expressed or implied. Void where prohibited by law, batteries not included. Some tombstones may be damaged from armed military conflict or nuclear testing.
1: Not recommended for children under the age of 25. This is Giuliani town. Everything is ripped apart, everything is shredded. This is a city of such shrill noise. You walk around with a permanent headache, but it's also a city of many restaurants. You may find a few in some other community, but New York has what we call a deep bench. And at the behest of my friends, Mark and Greg Sherry, who owned the Homestead, New York's oldest steakhouse, Mark was boasting, no, Mark doesn't talk, Greg was boasting that he has the best crab cakes. Last night I went there, they were delicious. What makes a great crab cake? It should be at least 90 or 95% filled with crab. You don't want a lot of filler. You want a lot of crap, a lot of potatoes. Delicious. I think it was $15 as an appetizer. Superior, superb. Greg, I wish your dick was as, as productive as your crab cake, and so's your wife. This is thumbs up for crab cakes at the homestead on 14th Street and 9th Avenue. Delicious. I can't believe it. I'm surprised my friends turned out a good dish. Also, they do great steaks. Thank you.
2: Hello, oh, and welcome to Beat It. I am Tim Squares, and I am here with Louis P. Lip. Yeah, and the lip stands for puss, so I'm not going to lie to you. But, you know, I didn't pick it, but it's family name.
3: As always, a family name.
2: And we are going to be covering just a oh. topic near and dear to our hearts. Oh. Al Goldstein and Screw Magazine.
3: Oh, Al Goldstein in general—the scumbags, scumbag—and I mean that lovingly and caringly. You know, I don't. It, it's a badge of honor. It, you know, it it really it really is a badge of honor. And I'm as with so many other things since I've met you and since I moved here to the East Coast, I had no idea who Al Goldstein was until you started. You know, you were talking about. Yo, oh, Al Goldstein, this and I and I said, Oh god, I guess I have to not look like I don't know who Al Goldstein was. So I went ahead and I
2: Especially and, since you live in New York near you know, in New York City.
3: Oh yeah, and I and I did and I looked it up and it was holy cow. I said, This guy is something else. And so the first thing I did, I you know, I'd heard of Screw Magazine. It it tried to make a an appearance in San Francisco for a while it, it didn't work as as so many as a lot of other of his magazines didn't work um but i uh i found a book and it was uh it's called i goldstein and it was written in 2006 along uh with uh josh allen friedman who we uh, have talked about on another show and who was actually a contributing writer for screw magazine and the first thing I did was I, I, I finished reading it. It was probably the best book I've read in two years. I, I couldn't put it down and I read it at work and I don't I don't work at a place where I can hide and read it. I'm out in the open and people are walking by and there and, and I work in New York and and everyone that walked by pretty much would just look at what I was reading and go, oh that guy was a pig. He was a pig, just disgusting. He was a dog. That? And I just—it was hilarious. And so the first thing I did, of course, was send the book to you, and uh, and I wanted to ask you what you thought of the book, and I wanted to ask you uh, when you first uh, were introduced to Al Goldstein. How, because you know you were upstate New York, but but you have uh, being here, you were introduced to him. You knew who he was. And I, I, I'd like to get a little uh, a little story on how you were introduced uh, to this guy.
2: Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Where I grew up was like a total cultural vacuum. It, there was nothing up there. It wasn't until I got out of that town and into uh, literally the first day of college when I'd moved out of my hometown to a larger city. And the the college bookstore at my college blew away anything that we had in you know in my local area as far as what the the quality of books and the 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 quantity of interesting books as compared to just you know what they would like even a walden books in in northern new york was just full of crap so the, my first day at college, I picked up this book called "High Weirdness by Mail" by the Reverend Ivan Stang, a directory of the fringe, mad prophets, crackpots, kooks, and true visionaries. And this is in the days. Well, um, the Church of the Subgenius is another topic, totally. But uh, Re- Reverend Ivan Stang is one of the founders of the Church of the Subgenius, and this book is basically the internet. Wait, trying to happen before the internet. Before the internet and all the weirdos on the internet you had to if you wanted to get true kookiness or we you know somebody ranting about their their conspiracy theory you had to find them and write them and be like hey like like the joke on the simpsons i'm intrigued by your opinion and i would like to subscribe to your newsletter <laughs> and um um Ivan Stang printed this whole book, basically. Uh, of he'd done all the legwork, and here's where you can find all your UFO cont- contactees, religious fanatics of all different stripes, you know, political conspiracy theorists, free energy stuff, and uh, so there's a and and this was during the golden age of zines and and uh, mail art where you would get your name on a list and, and you would make art and you would mail it out to the list and it would mail you would mail off five envelopes that would go to people and then you would get, you know, ten envelopes in the mail full of other people's art and you would trade back and forth. Um, so he had a, se- a section called Rudeness and the Sex Wars. So it's, uh, you know, about rude magazines and stuff. And I got to this one part... <laughs> And it just, uh, okay, I, I, I'm going to read in its entirety the entry for Screw Magazine out of um, High Weirdness by Mail. It's, it's titled, The Greatest. <laughs> Screw, Milky Way Productions. Old Chelsea Station, New York, New York, 10011. What a great loss to mankind that Screw is known mainly to New Yorkers. Unless you subscribe, which you should. This really belongs with the humor listings, except that it's so much funnier than anything else there, it'd make the others look bad. In fact, I've decided to drop that whole listing from this book. They're all so hopelessly lame compared to Screw and the Subgenius. The blowjob shots peppering this tabloid in sales. Otherwise, this is far more than a stroke mag. <laughs> the, the editorial rants are more effectively anti-authoritarian than any of those in any political rag. I can't believe they haven't been shut down yet. What makes, what with all the porn collages in which they make it appear that say Ed Meese is getting it from Ronald Reagan. The news on sex discoveries and sex rep- repression are presented in a pun-mangled style that is somehow better for gut yucks, unless you're uptight about it, than any legit humor book I can think of. Great regular features like smut from the past, dependable consumer's guide to porn and live sex in every medium, and more. It's bi-weekly, you get to know the writers and the format, and after a few issues, you'll be hooked. When someone like Liberace dies of AIDS, screw goes nuts. (laughs) Nuts in bold type. Call me politically incorrect, then go fuck yourself. One year, 26 issues is 2350. A pittance for one of the noblest publications listed herein. And so, from that point, and then, of course, one of my first friends that I made in school happened to be from Brooklyn and actually my and and my first girlfriend that I had <laughs> was from Brooklyn. So I was go I was taking trips to Brooklyn to to visit her parents and he was always going home to visit his mom. So every time he would go to New York, he would go to everybody go anybody want anything from New York City and I'd be like pick me up a copy of Screw and <laughs> The first time he gave me this look of like, oh, and then he just like sort of gave me the little point of like, you got it. (laughs) And so every time he went home, I knew when he was coming back, I knew I had my issue of screw coming in. You know, he'd come in the door and I'd be like, come on, (laughs) fork it over.
3: So if you lived in, say, Kansas City, which... We'll get into later. Yeah, something happened to Al in Kansas City, right. and in other parts of the country, you probably never heard of Al Goldstein, Would you say?
2: There'd be no re- there. There'd be really no reason to, unless you were somehow interested in the pornography world in a hardcore, ma- you know, in a deep manner. Unless you were in the business, maybe. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, and you know, for those of our listeners who have never heard of Al Goldstein and have never you you may be a in this day and age you may have heard of screw magazine but it's really hard to to tell you exactly how filthy screw magazine was I mean you you got magazines like hustler uh, yeah and you think okay hustler is absolutely filthy then you get into some of your trucker magazines and they're filthy and jugs but how filthy would you say screw magazine wasn't how do how do we explain to people just how filthy
2: it was it was filthy within and pushing the envelope of the law
3: i don't think i i don't think they could have pushed the envelope anymore i think sure they, sure they could
2: have but al goldstein actually had ethical limits like Kitty poor, <laughs> well,
3: of course yeah that's that's true except when it came to his
2: his adult son but that was a re- that, that was that's a collage <laughs> that's that's editor- that was editorialized
3: <laughs> it, it was well for those of you that don't know or, or know very little about alvin al goldstein he was born january 10th 1936 and uh he was basically you know he was Just an American uh, pornographer and people called him a hairy sweaty cigar chomping fatso and he claimed to have about 7,000 sexual partners in his lifetime and nothing in his childhood, at least his early childhood, would would suggest that this was the path that he was going to take. I mean, he was born in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and he was born to a Jewish family. His father was in the photo corps for World War II, uh, and he attended, a, you know, a boys' high school. And then he later on went ahead and served in the military in the Signal Corps. And uh, he was this is around the time of the Korean War, and his father called in some favors, so he never actually went to Korea. But he, surprisingly enough, he did wind up going to Cuba and taking some pictures that he really shouldn't have taken and got thrown in a Cuban jail for a while. And he was uh, released finally. But uh, he, I'd say that he had this incredibly filth-ridden life that the man did everything. I, I mean, he started Screw Magazine, in 1968 with his partner Jim Buckley and they both invested if you can believe it hundred and seventy-five dollars each and screw was sold weekly and it was uh, one of the first magazines that took this is the golden era of uh, porn in New York and it was a magazine that featured the reviews of porno movies and peep peep, peep shows erotic parlors brothels escorts and other adult entertainment offerings he made a lot of money uh, it wasn't a very big magazine and it wasn't a very well produced uh, it was a newspaper uh, filled with ads for pretty much anything you can get you wanted you could find in an ad in screw magazine and All he, girls
2: and massage parlors yeah
3: pretty much he was absolutely ruthless if you got on Al Goldstein shit list you could, yeah, uh, you could be destroyed. And he made enemies. I mean, he really did. But uh, at, at its peak, Screw Magazine sold just yeah, uh, 140,000 copies a week. I mean, the, the man was arrested 19 times on obscenity charges, and he would never back down. He fought everything that was thrown at him, but you have an issue of Screw magazine that I do. And uh, if there's so much to talk about Al Goldstein, but if if you could it, it, talk about the magazine and it, it's cheap newsprint, it's it's ink that rubs off on your hands. Surprisingly, some
2: pretty good uh, artwork was featured in some of the magazines. Well, Josh had Adam Friedman. John. Alan yeah. Friedman, his brother is Drew Friedman, who's an oh, accomplished oh, oh. underground cartoonist. I had no idea. And okay. would do would do a lot of the covers for Screws. He 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 worked at, uh, you you might have seen him in National Lampoon back in the day. He did oh, very detailed mm, sure. pon, you know, pontilist drawings of celebrities like Tor Johnson Old film stars in imagined situations but they were very photographic and yet a lot of famous underground cartoonists would do covers for screw because screw you know it had the appeal of the pornographers but it also had the appeal it also appealed to underground cartoonists and people who did underground magazines <clears throat> because Ivan Stang was not being hyperbolic when he said this is more anti-authoritarian than most political commentary. Oh, yeah,
3: absolutely. Screw uh, never, never. No quarter at all. Yeah, it it promised never to ink out any pubic hair at all or chalk out any organ. And we apologize for nothing. We will uncover the entire world of sex
2: you see, well, there was, there was uh, like two, two of my biggest heroes and, and, um, Al Goldstein, they, they already made a biopic of Larry Flint, which is a great movie. Yeah. Milos Forman's one of my favorite, favorite directors. And that movie is, is, is a beautiful thing. They need to make an Al Goldstein biopic because I, um, oh, what the hell is that one actor's name? He he was in. Have you ever seen the movie? John dies at the end. No. I have to look him up real quick. Even though I might have to edit this That's out.
3: Fine. This this is the hardcore research that we bring you.
2: <laughs>
3: and, and and while you're looking it up, you could buy screw for twenty five cents at its peak. At at its peak, and and uh, he would insult everybody. He didn't care. He was not a fan of Nixon. And some people say that. Uh, his problem started when he first came out and said that J J Edgar Hoover was gay and while and J right, Edgar well, Hoover was still alive everybody knew J, J Edgar Hoover was gay some people say that's where his troubles may put him on the radar i mean he actually on the cover says J is J Edgar J Edgar Hoover fag?" and <laughs> right there he didn't care and um and and whatever he wanted to do he did and he lived that type of well, lifestyle like,
2: like that the, the, the closeted this is one of my weird theories the closeted gayness of J. Edgar Hoover was like his ultimate display of power because he used to go to like parties in Washington with his boyfriend both of them in drag and stuff like that and his power was that everybody knew nobody was going to say a peep you know, in public, and that was like the testament to J. Edgar Hoover. He could do what he wanted, at which w- at the time was would be completely scandalous and ruin him, especially in his position and what he was doing. You know, nowadays it'd be like, yeah, whatever, J. Edgar. You know, but uh, the and the Al, and the Al Goldstein would print that while J. Edgar Hoover was alive, even in his last gasps of life. That's like taking your life in your hands.
0: Yeah, I guess.
3: He just wanted, I mean, he just wanted to get this guy, and I think it set him on
2: the road. But he got involved with mafia in mafia tangles, too, and has had his ass saved by mafia friends who who scuttled hits on him and stuff like that. Well, John Gotti
3: was a friend of his, and he, when the Pope came to town. put on his magazine this is to tell you that nothing was safe from him pope's going to come to town and tour all of the men's restrooms and well the mob didn't like that and he was afraid that they were going to have a hit on him and they actually a couple of goombas broke into his office and held him at gunpoint and robbed all of the people that that were working with him and most of them there were just a bunch of hippies and scumbags and as he will tell you himself Uh, Later on, and they said, hey, we don't like you. The family doesn't like you talking about uh, the Pope. But uh, later on, it was probably... Uh, figured out that it wasn't really the mafia that broke into his office he was never he was never quite the same then he carried a gun and he was always
2: yeah very... it sounded to me like someone robbed him and like wanted it to sound like the mafia yeah. so that he would be scared and not come after him <laughs> oh yeah definitely and and
3: you know he got into as I, he got into a lot of trouble but his magazine was pretty much a, a parody right wouldn't you say that 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 it he falls had...
2: under that it falls under that yes legal definition, yes. That's how you that's how you get away with stuff like that. And and public figures are 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 really hard in America to slander, you know, as long as you're parodying them. You could almost go as far as Al Goldstein That he when he really got in trouble is when he would do like his wife and his kids, you know, who weren't yeah, really public nobody, figures. Nobody Nobody was safe uh, from Al Goldstein. I mean, he,
3: he was, he would, he would get you the man. He was married about seven times. Uh, and. uh, Four. (laughs) I got it right
2: in front of me. Well, actually, no, but as of 2001. (laughs) And,
3: and it was his first, it was, I believe he had his, his, uh, his son with his, um, second wife, I think, Mary Phillips. I'm not sure. Uh, and, but that's, that's a horrible story. Uh, they, they he slandered her ruthlessly in his magazine, and I mean, I'm. It's hard for me to describe just how filthy it was. That's that's why you have a copy. I have could one you, right in my could, lap. Could, could you maybe take us on a audio tour? of sure. um, The feel. I want you to the feel, the smell, the touch. What? What? what, is, what the smell what, is
2: musty. It's a, definitely a musty copy of of Screw. It's from 2001. It was 295 by 2001. Wow. Only
3: two more years to go.
2: All right. So, on the very top it says Sexy Nightlife Tourist Guide inside every issue of Screw with a little hot flash. It says Anthrax free porn. And then in big <laughs> the big headline is our 33rd year. 20 arrests, 4 wives, 865 cunts. <laughs> on the cover Three hundred pounds and still going strong. Screw the Sex Review, number one thousand seven hundred and eight. And it's a brightly colored cartoon picture of of, of very fat Al Goldstein, uh, um, Slim Pickens style from Doctor Strangelove, sitting on a bomb dropping out of a Bombay door, over over a wasteland that says Afghanistan. <laughs> the bomb says Happy Ramadan on it. He's got a cigar in one hand and a a pistol in the other and a red red T-shirt under a gray um, vest that says, fuck you. He's he's falling, falling out on the bomb and all around him are dildos, screw magazines, blow up dolls, anal beads, videotapes and um, penis enlargers (laughs) falling out with him. That's the cover. Yeah. All right. Right there. Right there. Put it in a frame, you've got two dollars and ninety five cents worth of oh. what the fuck awesomeness. Yeah. And 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 just to say that the picture of Al Goldstein is not flattering is sorta of underselling well,
3: it. Let's not Bernie he was not
2: he ballooned in weight. He was to... he was one of those brutally honest people about his uh scumbaggingness. Oh, yeah. oh, he never hit it. He knew
3: he was a scumbag and he knew that he would never get never have gotten laid if he wasn't. Uh, you know the the uh, if he didn't have Screw magazine and he was constantly begging for it and 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 he would you know he actually post articles on how to fuck a fatty and 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 uh, he he didn't hide who he was.
2: No, they were probably actual real real um, practical tips and probably oh, it was I'm probably sure. full of horrible puns and stuff, but it was probably like hey, you know. People like having sex with. There's fat people that like to have sex. You know. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing is, it wasn't politically correct, but at the same time, it was b- brutally honest, and it wasn't. It was. It was equally hateful to everyone, including Al Goldstein. Which I mean, it's you know, this, this, this. His whole life is sort of uh, a celebration of self loathing
3: <laughs> Yeah.
2: Okay. So, just, yeah. open it up right inside the first page. That's where the slander happens. In an old-time country text, it says, Come on down! And it says, Visit the Brooklyn Courthouse Part Jury 1 at 120 Shermerhorn at 8.30 a.m. on the morning of November 28th and witness the death of justice as Al Goldstein gets railroaded live and in person. In the meantime, call Brooklyn's District Attorney Charles J. Hines then his phone number. And ask him if he set Al's execution date yet also ask him if it's true that he's going to be the next leader of the Taliban be there there's a picture of somebody about to get hung from a tree with Al Goldstein's head attached to it with with um, district attorney Charles J Hines in a KKK suit <laughs> standing up under him then there's a picture of Charles Hines Standing behind a camel with a, with, <laughs> dressed as a sultan, then they have him in a Nazi uniform and it says, "Achtung! I will Lynch der Juden Al Goldstein like the Schwarzer he is." Hmm. that's the inside cover. Yeah, that's. Right, have inside. you gotten your 295 yet? <laughs> I want to pay 295
3: that's just page, to. The page two
2: out of 63. <laughs> Alright, then the next column is Screw You by Al Goldstein 33 down and counting And he just basically brags about his accomplishments Then there's about 5 pictures of blowjobs To the right of it (laughs) Just pictures of blowjobs And then we get a little This is a perfect issue actually Because it has Since it's the 33 years We get a little, little greatest hits of all the stuff that their greatest hits that you got the first cover you got a picture of John Lennon reading Screw when he was doing the bed in with Yoko and Yoko looking not too happy you've got (laughs) Jermaine Greer's Pussy and which is very um, I had a roommate who copied this picture and we used to have it hanging above the doorway of our house when we lived there very nice Um, the next page is 1974 to 1978 and um, it's got uh, the pictures, the the famous pictures of Jackie o, Jackie Onassis naked.
3: Oh yeah. and Jack the, the, um, the issue of Jacqueline Onassis uh, naked was, even according to Al Goldstein was probably what his, the start of his downfall because he said there was probably he'd actually, traveled with uh, Jacqueline Onassis, Jacqueline Onassis for a while as a member of the photo corps. And uh, she didn't know who he was and he didn't get near her or anything, but he always had a thing for her and said that he would just love to eat her out. He, he just loved, loved her. And when he purchased some nude pictures of her in 1973 from um, a German magazine and published them, according to him that may have been what that may have been the time that he went too far because you didn't mess with um Jacqueline Kennedy
2: Onassis no um let's see what else do we have here we have a quote from an old article called a dildo is forever if you're not careful by Chrissy Egan from November 1970 I spent the whole night sitting on the john and when the sun rose the thing was still stuck up my ass I called my doctor and he said I should meet him at the hospital. Then there's a list of all of his publishing failures of oh, all the yeah. magazines he tried. There's Gay, X, Smut, Death Magazine, Gadget, Cigar, Mobster Times, <laughs> Screw West, National Screw, Best of Screw, Bitch, Bitch Magazine, Sex Sense, and Homo slash Ramrod. <laughs> <laughs> All failed. Okay, next page. We got 79 to 83. Let's see what we got here. Oh, there's a there's a uh, a blowjob picture. Um, there's a picture of of um, Al Goldstein receiving one of the five blowjobs he won in a bet from Seca Oh yeah. Um, a picture of cuthead of the year 1984, Gloria Steinem crime, wouldn't fuck Al Goldstein, punishment, Miss Magazine curled up and died, so did Gloria Steinem's sex life, a vapid liaison with Mort Zuckerman gave way to the indignities of menopause. (laughs) Oh, God. And then they have a picture of Al being led away in handcuffs. And uh, a picture of uh, the first cover that they had with the (laughs) with um, the Pillsbury Doughboy. (laughs) Oh, Which they Interesting story. For.
3: and you I'm sure that you read this from the book that when he tried to launch Screw Japan, the whole Pillsbury Doughboy um, debacle, they tried to sue him. And as a result, I, he wound up winning. So he made sure he put the Pillsbury Doughboy on every single
2: every, every especially. Yeah. In, yes, especially in Japan for some reason.
3: Well, no, the Japanese thought
2: that that was... They had no idea. They just it was, thought it was the screw mascot.
3: Yeah, they They put the Pillsbury Doughboy on their short-lived uh, screw magazine, Japan, which is hilarious.
2: All right, so let's see. We've got another dickhead of the year, 1989. Bruce Ritter, crime, headed a Get Goldstein campaign after Midnight Blue went national. That was Al Goldstein's public access yes. sex okay, show, yeah, XXX. Um, formerly a member of the Attorney General's Commission on Pornography and Punishment, revealed to be a stick-it-up-the-shitter-critter and hounded from this post as head of Covenant House for alleged improprieties with young boys and misuse of charity funds. Um, we got a bunch of sayings of Chairman Al. I'm working on novel. Those things take forever to read. Um, there's nothing like a dime. If you can't eat it, spend it or fuck it, what good is it? I'm having a dinner party, so eat a big lunch. Free Mandela, great, I'll take a pound. A waste is a terrible thing to mind. Second coming, I should be so lucky. And then he's got his best, his list of best porno films of all time. Number one is The Devil in Miss Jones, which we have covered. Oh, we haven't
3: covered The Devil in Miss
2: Jones yet. Oh, we have not. You're right, you're right. Number two is Sex World, which we have not covered. Number three is Behind the Green Door. That's the one we've covered. We have covered that. Number four is Deep Throat, which we have also covered. And number five is Talk Dirty to Me. And, um... Then the next page has a prominent picture of a woman sitting on a toilet with a very hairy vagina with two men's, <laughs> uh, a man and a woman sucking on each of her tits. Um... A picture of Al Goldstein on the radio with Sam Kennison. Charles Keating Jr., the embezzler, is dickhead of the year. Um, A picture of Al Goldstein with his dick being grabbed by some woman with Ron Jeremy next to him. And and we're into the 2000s. There's a picture of a screw magazine with Bill Clinton fondling um, Monica Lewinsky's tits on it. Um, a picture of Osama Bin Laden being nuzzled by a little pig. And uh, it says, Osama Bin Laden eats camel dung. Um, uh, a whole page just um, slandering any celebrities that, that didn't like him under uh, the title. Who are Where are they now? And then, then we have the subscription page, which is just a picture of Al Goldstein giving you the finger sitting next to Larry Flint. And Larry Flint saying, if it wasn't for screw, I'd have gone out of business. Too bad it couldn't make me bulletproof. Oh, shit. (laughs) And then from that point on, it's ads. (laughs) All right. We get to page, page 20 is, is the map of Manhattan. And then he's got the secret sex in the naked city map. And the legend has different, different shapes for the different things: Topless bars, videos and peep shows, bookstores, S&M clubs and parlors, swing clubs, boutiques, gay movies and burlesque, gay baths and clubs, miscellaneous, public services, transvestite clubs and services, and body modification. So it's just got Manhattan with all these, like, all over it, so where you could go to find it. And then then it's ads, (laughs) 40 pages of ads, uh, pictures of blowjobs, Asian women, full penetration, butts getting licked. Here's a a taxi ad, a fake taxi. Oh my God. Okay. It's, I just, I just found a fake ad in this. Why get fucked in a taxi? $3 off if a driver bothers to show up. There's a woman giving a thumbs up in a little like, um, you know, business outfit with her microphone on and says, we're nowhere to be found. <laughs> when, when you can get fucked even worse by us, call us upon your arrival and our driver will wander around for an hour or two with his head up his ass, wondering where he is. Free waiting time because it's you who'll be waiting. Same rates as everybody else with poor, poor service. Carmel car and limousine service. Number one fucking New Yorkers for over 20 years. 1-800-9-CARMEL. <laughs> Six, 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 present ad to driver.
3: <laughs> now, this is where at the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, that places like the massage parlors and the strip clubs, and this is where you advertise. Yeah.
2: You, didn't, you didn't have anywhere else you want, you want to hear some personals? Oh yeah, God, would I ever, come on. Nurse Jill looking for a patient who wants to play. Have you ever had an enema? Have you ever thought about it? Laying on my table with me leaning over you, preparing you for this cinema will be an experience of a lifetime. I may even make you hold it until you beg to release. Oh. My name is Shannon. I'm looking for someone to have fun with. I'm very attractive. I really want to talk to you. Don't be shy. That one's not too exciting. I'll talk to her. My name is Candy, and I'm looking for a guy with a nice, long cock to slide into my juicy, wet hole. I'm always horny, and anything goes. I like licking, sucking, and swallowing. If this applies to you, please call me. Hi, I'm Darren. I'm Italian, five foot nine, black hair, green eyes, a clean-shaven little boy face. Oh. I'm, I'm Harry, weigh 165. I'm into three ways with two guys or a man and his wife. I love fantasies. I don't know why I'm giving him a southern accent. I love fantasies. The more obscure, give, give the, the, the better. Give
3: him uh, the, teenage, the teenage kid from the Simpsons accent.
2: <laughs> I love fantasies. There the more go. obscure, the better. I would almost do anything with the right people. Call me up. <laughs> Hi, this is Paul and Rebecca, and we're an uninhibited couple. Yeah, here we go, uninhibited couple. We've never done anything like this before, uh huh? But we'd really like to try. And if you leave a message in our voice mailbox, we will get back to you. I'm a straight male and she's a bi-female. And we're looking for another male or female or both. And we'd really like to try something new. He'll work with you. So, you know, these are like real people and and escorts, you know, yeah. mixed just mixed in together. I would say probably 95% escorts. Here's Veronica, loves to have her feet worshipped. You can suck on her toes and dart your tongue in and out of each one while you're on your knees. Don't forget to sprinkle honey dust on them so they're extra sweet. If you're really good, I'll even let you rub your cock in between my arches and cum. But remember, you have to clean up your mess.
3: Of course, it's only good manners.
2: I am looking for a little pussy boy who is ready for the ultimate mistress. I am very beautiful, and I demand to be totally worshipped. You will be trained to suck cock and be fucked and love getting cum baths. That's Al. <laughs> Take that's off all that's... your clothes and get down on your knees, you pathetic whore, and prepare to be controlled. You belong to me now. <laughs> well, you can tell that the powers that be
3: were do- were when they-, they were doing everything they could to get to get Al Goldstein. And he was spending just millions, I mean, he thousands and thousands of dollars in lawyers defending himself. But he won just about every <clears throat> every case. Uh, and 1974 was an interesting year for for Al. He started his show Midnight Blue. And also that was a year that they finally decided they were going to try – Al Goldstein, in Kansas, in a federal court in Kansas City. And they set him up. What they did was they had someone in Kansas, uh, an operative, subscribe to the magazine. Well, the magazine was sent to Kansas, and he was picked up for mailing obscenity uh, across you know, state lines. Now, he this case, he had to fly to Kansas all the time, and uh, to try this. This case lasted three years, and two trials, and finally he agreed to pay thirty thousand dollar a thirty thousand dollar fine. But that same year, Midnight Blue. Uh, started, which was uh, Al Goldstein's. At first, it was called Screw Magazine of the Air. And later on, he had to change that as a, uh, a kind of a compromise to keep it going. And it was renamed Midnight Blue. And it was a weekly hour-long adult-oriented access public, public access TV program. And it ran for 30 years here in Manhattan on uh, Cable's Channel J. And federal regulations requ- uh, requiring public access cable TV channels made it almost impossible or impossible for them to refuse his program which his it, it was filthy uh we you can see his program on YouTube they have many of the interviews that he did and they are absolutely you you wonder how you can get away with it but you have you, you have experience in public access TV so is it a surprise to you that a show like Midnight Blue could have could have lasted 30 years running the the things that that they did i mean they even had the advertisements that you read and of course al goldstein's famous fuck you rants were could go from anything to a dry cleaner to a chinese restaurant to a terrible massage parlor uh it's no surprise to you that you that this could be done
2: no, not not at all. Well, in Rochester, I I had a public access show and we never we did whatever we want. We had some brief nudity in it in a couple parts, but it was it was really brief and not uh, you know the fo- I, our focus was mostly music, but we you know the language was as rude as we wanted to and we never never had a problem with it at all. Uh, mostly because at the same time there was a show called Life Without Shame that was sort of our version of Midnight Blue. It, it was two really rude guys. And they had people... For, they had a women's group that... Uh, um, um, organized against them and called themselves WAVES. WAVE. Women's ag- Women Against Violence Everywhere. And... Uh, they They... They 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 won again they they never got them taken off and the guys who did the public access show copyrighted WAVE and changed it into their own I can't remember what their acronym was, but it was obscene. Of and course. then they sued they sued the group for using WAVE <laughs> after that. And they they you know, they had to jump through hoops and go from you know, they they eventually almost got their own sort of public access channel to themselves, a separate one, w- in with people's attempts to try to keep them at least segregated. Because I mean, they would do full nudity and, and rudeness on their show. Al Goldstein did full penetrate had full penetration. Oh, yeah, and it's shocking to me.
3: How this could have gotten oh but you know these were interviews that he did with you know erotic film stars uh, um, Art crumb and he pulled nothing back when he asked these people and most of his you know his interviews followed a certain pattern like he'll talk about something and then all of a sudden say so you take it up the butt you gave me a blowjob can I eat your pussy I mean that's what these interviews were and uh, you know it, it to me it was like, wow, how could this ever be on TV? but this was public access TV could now this wouldn't fly today, would it? Sure.
2: I think so. But I think wow. I think I think it would probably fly even even I, I mean it flew then. It flew then and I mean look at look at regular TV today. regular regular is right up to nudity and cable TVs even has a little nudity every once in a while. And swearing and stuff, so, and and plus, you know, I mean, there's sort of a blasé attitude towards porn nowadays because it's not, it's it's readily available privately, And not like in the old days where you had to you had to go buy it or something like that. You know, you go on the if you have the internet, you have porn, so yeah. people are pretty, are less shocked by it. I mean. It was I'm trying to think of what year it was it was probably 89 88 that I went to Brooklyn with my girlfriend the first time and you know we were sitting up in her parents living room late at night after everybody went to bed. and she said, well, here's your chance to see some uh, some uh, New York City public access and there were many channels, you know it was, you know, the first thing we, the first thing I was, was like, let's, I want to see Midnight Blue, so boom, on to mid, watching Midnight Blue, and we were just like, holy shit, this is porn, she's like, and you know, she's from Brooklyn, you know, there's part of her, she's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, that morning, the next morning when we got up, I was listening to Howard Stern, you know, on, on the radio, so it was just like this full, getting the full New York experience at that, and, and I th- I don't know if I don't think Howard Stern was even syndicated at that point. I think he was just—it was just a New York, New York City thing, and uh, and then you know we, we checked out some of the, some of the other most like we'd go to another channel and it would be more Wayne's World, and then there was one that was very arty and upscale and you know arts type stuff and and nicely made independent films and stuff like that. You know, it was it was very public. TV, public access sort of yeah. stuff, arty, But still, they would. But they could show stuff that was, you know, a little more. But it was classy, you know. Even even if it got into the adult stuff, which you know it would sometimes. But nope, there Al Goldstein every night. You could watch some porn on if you had cable in New York City.
3: Just... Well, you can I imagine. I mean, by this time, he had a successful magazine. He had a cable TV show that he was making. You know, money on the advertising. On Al Goldstein was a millionaire. He had a lot of money. He had a beautiful house in Florida that people would throw garbage at. And he wound up erecting a statue of a large middle finger, flipping anyone off that wanted to, to drive, you know, to, to go by his house in their boat. Uh, and th- he was a, he was a spendaholic. Was one of Al's problems. He would come into his office in the morning, and the first thing he would do was take out all of the magazines, uh, the catalogs that would come to his desk, hammocker, Slammer, and all this stuff, and purchase thousands of dollars of Chotsky's computers that he'd never even opened. He had a watch fetish, millions of dollars in watches, and he was burning through money uh, like... Like crazy. Well, he's a glutton
2: too. It was just like he anything was... he could consume, he wanted to consume it. You know.
3: What are we gonna? How can we say anything
2: nice? About, I mean, most. I mean, you read the book. Well, that's it's... his personal. What? 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 I. Well, I admire the the that he put himself out there. Yes. Once that, and all. It... And I also admire that. Like there were a lot of people that like fight for the First Amendment and stuff and they try to dress up what they're defending sometimes and he's just like no going into a going into a massage parlor and getting a little tug job there's nothing wrong with that you know and there's and, nothing
3: wrong. and and he paved the way for what other people could do uh, you know people you know a lot of people that came after him owe al goldstein a lot because you know he wasn't going to he didn't back down he did make you know and eventually uh, the money he was shelling out to to buy <laughs> hammocker, Schlamacher gadgets and lawyers. I mean, he is spending a lot of money to and spend, getting
2: divorced many and times. Getting, that helps. And getting divorced,
3: yeah, a lot. Uh, his his partner Jim Buckley, who he finally who we started Screw magazine with, decided that you know what, this is enough for me, and and I I don't want to be in this. So Al bought him out, and then wow, what really happened that brought him down. Was in 2002, he started to harass uh, one of his secretaries, uh, and he put her phone number in his magazine, and he encouraged readers to call her and say and just ask her, "Hey, you know, please stop being a cunt." And and that was it. Goldstein was arrested. He was he spent 60 days in Rikers Island, and if you read the book, he had it it. it
2: it was terrible. It broke him basically.
3: <laughs> it, you know what? it did. It's it, and he will admit it. It, it broke him, uh, and for the first time, you know, he just didn't have it in him to fight anymore. Uh, he he wound up getting a plea, you know, a plea bargain. He had to apologize. Well, his health
2: was gone. His money his was, gone. was gone. Any support money. from anybody was gone, pretty yeah. much, except for like Penn, Gillette and yeah, strangely few enough, people.
3: Uh, everything everything was gone he started he as quickly as he you know he 30 years he amassed his fortune and all of a sudden here he is he had basically no money it's hard for me to understand <laughs> uh, but Glutton, like you said he had no money nothing at all and in 2003 he was unable to make payroll and only 600 copies of the magazine were sold of the last issue. And it, I think that it was probably a combination of the internet that that maybe brought him down as people just didn't need to advertise in his magazine anymore. You had the Village Voice. You had a lot of other free newspapers that you can advertise in. Uh, and. Al Goldstein was homeless for a while, he was sleeping in uh, homeless shelters. For a while he was working at uh, a deli and he got fired for sleeping in the basement. Um, He was a bagel salesman working on commission trying to sell bagel contracts to uh, companies that were having lunches and all this stuff. During this time he had put his son through law school. His son was a lawyer and his son disowned him and of course he ripped his son and his ex-wife in his in his uh, magazine and that was the only time that i read from his book that you know he felt bad and maybe he shouldn't have done that to his son uh his son had a million dollars worth of watches that he had given him to hold and he refused to give them back and his son was even quoted as saying you know what i cannot wait until i see your obituary and he was just embarrassed that, you know, maybe that he didn't invite him to his graduation. And it was down it was downhill from there for, for Al Goldstein and Screw Magazine. Uh, like you had mentioned, Penn Teller bought him an apartment. And you can see his downfall. If you watch some of his uh, his YouTube videos, the older ones, you can barely recognize this guy. And and you told me about one that you had watched the other day where he was just walking around begging
2: women for <laughs> for sex. He was giving doing a speak speaking engagement and He was he was sorta of doing his shtick and it wasn't you know, it wasn't going over. He was sick and sad doing it and the women were just sort of you know, it was one of those like Yeah, that's not funny, you're a sick, sad little man. That was the reaction from the crowd. Which he would you know, he didn't care. And so he would just keep going and just sort of hard himself on it.
3: Yeah, uh, he, he was, he died um, in a nursing home. He died on December 19th, uh, 2013. He was 77 years old uh, from renal failure. Uh, and it was at a nursing home in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. And, you know, his friend Penn Jillette, uh did buy him an apartment uh, and, and, you know, he stayed there until he couldn't take care of himself anymore. And, and kind of a, an, an interesting and sad ending for the Sultan of Smut. But uh, how important was he?
2: Oh, hugely important. I think as far so as First Amendment I think, goes. I think, and... I think
3: that, that he, he had a big impact, even if you'd never heard of him. You, uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the things that we're able to read now or, or watch, he fought these battles and, uh, and people jumped on his, on the bandwagon of him doing so that they didn't have to. He didn't back down until that last, last, uh, that last mistake he made of putting his secretary's phone number on the, um, on his, uh, magazine,
2: but See, most of the horrible stuff about Al Goldstein is personal stuff, it's stuff between him and other people, which rich, obnoxious people like Al Goldstein, who are bombastic and stuff, they burn a lot, you know, he was, he was ego tripping, you know, so he treated a lot of people terribly, and I mean, it would have been fun to meet him. If I met him, like, to do an interview and something, it would have been like, that was great, you know. But if you worked for him, even if you were, like, good at your job or something, you're still going to, like, pick up your phone and have 20 messages of him screaming at you about something and calling you names. Because that's what he did. He was one of those guys, you know what I mean? So, So you'd be like, you know, after a while, at first you'd probably be like, haha, I'm getting yelled at by Al Goldstein. After a while, you'd probably be like, hey, fuck you, man, you know. I'll work card or whatever you know, so he sort of that that arc in his life was was well earned and it's kind of classic of that sort of person and you know in and in like if you if you're looking at like the <coughs> karmic hole of his life or something man you gotta pay a price sometimes for. <coughs> <clears throat> some of that stuff. And <clears throat> when he <clears throat> Pardon me. When he fought the righteous battle for first amendment and stuff like that, he won. Yeah. And when he slandered his wife and kids, he lost <laughs> and he should have. And you know, reading reading the biography, he knew it, you know. He he knew that You know, he bitched about other people and like, nobody will help me out. But he knew that he got there by himself, you know,
3: bridges, man.
2: man. Yeah. And I mean, he he would flat out say it. So, you know, I mean, he got he got some humility at the end of his life. And it was sort of by the time by that time he was out of the public eye. So it was, you know, more of, you know, I mean. And Al Goldstein, with humility, and Screw Magazine wouldn't have been any good, <laughs> to be brutally honest. You know, his, his, his terrible qualities are partially what made the magazine so great, because they were couched in humorous terms. And it's just great to pick something up like that, off that's sold on a newsstand, and just go, oh my god, this is so brutally rude and awful how the hell does this even exist, you know? And, and I shouldn't say awful, but just like, yeah, it, it, it goes, it, it crosses lines. <laughs> yeah. It, and, and I, it's... I love seeing stuff like that. It's just, you know, how does this exist? How did, how did how do you get full penetration on, on cable, you know, on regular cable TV in New York city in the eighties? He did it.
3: Yeah, he, he did. And, um, Slate magazine had a great article about Al Goldstein and uh, when he died, and uh, I think it's fitting to uh, to maybe wrap it up by saying the um, what they had to say about it. And the author uh, says, all I can say is that Midnight Blue may have disappeared from the airwaves 11 years ago, but the final "fuck you" segment wasn't delivered until last week, and it was worth the wait. And this was written, of course, uh, when Al Goldstein passed away. But a very interesting guy. Uh, someone that uh, is, uh, is someone you need to read about. And I yeah, can recommend... really just scratch the
2: surface oh, of this. I'm... I really yeah. highly recommend I Goldstein.
3: Yeah. Uh, did you love the book as much as I did?
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was literally just like golden turd nugget after golden turd nugget. You okay. know, it's it's like there's great sort of philosophical stuff in there of the 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 sketchy sort, of, But then, you know, all of a sudden it'll turn to just reminisces, reminiscences about, you know, sexual experiences. And then you get the scoop on all the pornographers of the time. And it's just, fat. I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite underground cartoonists, Dan O'Neill, turns up in, in the Mitchell Brothers strip club at one point. And I'm like, oh, my God, he hung with Dan O'Neill. That's amazing, you know. Oh, it's worth, it's worth reading just for the Mitchell Brothers section. Yes. Um, the Mitchell Brothers but... are another, I'm sure someday oh. we will do the Mitchell Brothers, too. That's yeah, we a, need quite to. a story. You can find
3: the book. It's, uh, it's, you can get it on um, Amazon which of course you can find on a link through the uh, to true freaks network so order it through there if you want to get it I mean, you can help us out a little bit by giving us a little jingle and um, and uh, enjoy it you will it'll be a you book. will enjoy it it's However, uh... every time you do read it you will have to wash your hands after you finish because it is that filthy so get, get a bottle of hand gel get the book Learn a little more, a uh, little more about Al Goldstein. Watch some Midnight Blue on uh, YouTube.
2: Yeah, YouTube is filled with hours of Midnight Blue. You can you can just you can binge on Midnight Blue. Is it doesn't have that you know it has all the parts that would not be the porn, you know, because otherwise it was just flat out porn movies. But all yeah. the parts that connected him in the interviews and stuff, which are not, I should say, <laughs> not porn-free.
3: <laughs> Especially the one you sent me. Although the ventriloquist one was probably the funniest, one of the funniest uh, videos we watched, that I watched, that you sent me. And, and if, you watch, if you watch these uh, Midnight Blue episodes and you read Al Goldstein's book, you will at least come away with an appreciation for him, love him, hate him. He was a very important guy in the industry, and uh, he made
2: he made a lot of
3: things happen that probably wouldn't have happened had he not been around.
2: We'll miss the gigantic guy, although he wasn't too gigantic when he went. But... Oh, no, he wasn't too gigantic when he went. But he
3: still loved to eat. I mean, he ice cream was his favorite thing. He ballooned Chubby up, hubby. Yeah, he ballooned up to 300 and something pounds at one time. And one of the stories from the book says that he had a hooker in his room and and he was eating chicken wings ice cream, uh, fried chicken, uh, hamburgers, and he passed out, and when he woke up, the hooker was gone, and all that was left on his bed was bones and ketchup, and for a brief moment he thought that perhaps he had eaten her. Yeah,
2: he called up Ron Jeremy.
3: called Ron Jeremy and said, I think I ate the hooker. (laughs) So... So there you go. That's Al Goldstein. I wish we can touch more. There's so much about him on his life. It, it's all over the place. But I, I hope that we gave you a little bit of a retrospective on on the man and uh, and his life.
2: Yeah, I think on his tombstone it should say, "I can't believe I ate the whole thing." ha! <laughs> <laughs> T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2 True Freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow Please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True 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 Freaks.
0: Where have you been, Lord? Run my son. Oh, make my bed soon. For I'm weary from hunting. (laughs) Hey, <laughs> hey! <laughs>